let me tell you, there is a book with only 100 pages long published by the Department of Justice and can, do, and can be downloaded uh, in your, uh, as a book. Uh, and this is a book that no parent wants to ever read. The title is, When Your Child is Missing. Some key bullet points and action steps are on the cover of the book, like uh, You Are Not Alone. Hope is essential. Trust your feelings and share them with law enforcement officials. Distribute pictures. Keep your focus. Exercise caution. And the final advice is never stop looking. The book tells the story of the parents of Jacob Wetterling, who they've been searching for since 1989. They post messages like, we are still searching for you, and we will never quit. Parents will spare no expense as with resolute passion they search for their children. I think I would. Won't you? We will. doesn't matter what's going on in our life. If our child is missing, man, I am going to search for him. God does that for us. God has lost children who have gone to the wrong direction, lost their bearings, lost their place in life, and lost their vision of the next eternal life. And you know what? God initiated a massive three-phase search, like a rescue mission, a rescue strategy to find his lost children. And the first phase was the people of Israel. He wanted the people to call up his own. A people that he can show his love, that he can show his character. And the second phase is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me or through Jesus, right? We are lost And Jesus is our way back home. Jesus is the only way back to our Father. By His death and the cross and resurrection, He can be reunited. We can be reunited with with our Heavenly Father. And the third phase in the story is today is about the church. And we are going to be looking at the book of Acts in chapter 1 and 2. And if you remember last week, we talked about um, the amazing things, events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about a violent, violent uh, earthquake. The angel rolling back the stone from the tomb, announcing that Jesus was alive. The empty tomb that uh, when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And also, when uh, he appeared to the two guys in the, in the road to Emmaus. And then to the disciples. And if you remember, a week later after that happened, uh, he appeared to the disciples again. One time, Thomas wasn't there. But then he appeared again, and Thomas was there. And we know Thomas because he's Thomas the what? Doubter. You know, and, and, and he said, and Thomas said, you know, not until I see his wounds in the hand and in the side and in his feet, I would not believe. 
And Jesus appears and, whoa. Hey, Thomas, come here. Touch. It's me. And he falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. And I remember a verse that says in the Bible, blessed are those who have not seen and what? Believe. So Thomas, the doubter, became not a so doubter anymore. And then also he appeared to Peter when they were fishing. And when Peter recognized that it was Jesus, he jumped the boat and started swimming to go get to Jesus. You know, those few weeks after the resurrection were amazing times for the, for the disciples and for many others. The resurrection appearances were all part of God's upper story. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we are here. Thank you for your word and for the message that you have for us today. That we, we can apply it and put it in our heart, God, so that we can grow closer to you and be disciples. Followers of you. It's in your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles right there in the book of Acts in chapter 1. And if you have your storybook, it's, it's the page 389. And it says like this. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptizing with the Holy Spirit. Then they gather around him and ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set for his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. And they were going to receive a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And when this gift comes, the gift of the Holy, the Holy Spirit, they will receive power. And they're going to be witnesses all over the world. And we know from the book of Matthew that Jesus actually, we call it the Great Commission. He told them in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I had commanded you. So did you notice that in that passage in Acts, in this passage in Matthew, in the Great Commission, it talks about the Holy Spirit will come. You will be witnesses, and then it says, go and make disciples. The same thing. And then after he told them that, he ascended into heaven. And while they were, you know, the apostles, uh, the disciples are looking up. And then two angels appear and this is, what are you looking? This Jesus that you see going, he's coming back. And I thank God for that. He is coming back. How exciting. I bet the disciples, when Jesus told them, you know, like, go to Jerusalem. They didn't go like just like a stroll. They went running. They were exciting. They were ready to receive a, receive a gift. I love gifts. I don't know you, but I love gifts. And they, I guarantee you that the disciples went running to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The problem is that they had to wait for seven days. It's like, uh, you know, have you prayed for patience? And you said, God, I want patience, but I want it right now. <laughs> you know, I think the disciples were experiencing a little bit of easiness there. Like, they wanted patience, but they had to wait seven days. But when it came, it will be a day that they will never forget. Look right there in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 4. Or your storybook in page 390. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and spread and came and rest in each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is very descriptive language used here. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and this described like a sound, like a blowing of a violent wind. Have you ever seen the movie Twister? It's scary, isn't it? I've never been in a tornado or anything like that, but I was in Kansas visiting a friend, and he's, we were watching basketball on the TV, and he's all, you know, just fun, having fun, and, and I start hearing this noise of wind, and, and then I look at the window, and the trees were like almost touching the ground, and like, dude, there's going to be a tornado. Oh, no, it's just the wind. Like, no. I remember the Wizard of Oz, you know, like, can't, you know, anyway. But you see, God is making His presence known. And He is not being quiet about it. The sound filled the whole house. They saw fire. This fire came over and rested on each of the disciples. I'm a guy, and when you see fire, I'm there. I like to play with fire, you know. And I think that was pretty exciting. But here's the thing. Literally, the presence of Jesus Christ and his power was with them. You see, the coming of the Holy Spirit, it was new to, in that way, it was new to the disciples. But it is not necessarily new to God. If you read the Old Testament, the Spirit was compared always with a wind or a fire. Just remember Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 37, when uh, uh, when spoke out of uh, God spoke, it speaks and I mean it speaks and the wind starts and God breathed life into the dry bones. Or how about with in John three when Jesus told Nicodemus that the spirit like the wind produces results which are obvious yet not one sees him. Or many of you are going to remember this one. How about Moses? In the burning bush. There's this fire going on. And the, and the bush is not even consuming. And like. I would be like. What? You know. And then. Jesus talks to. Or, or John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3. He says. Jesus Baptist predicted. That Jesus will soon baptize with the Holy Spirit. And fire. So this sound, which sounded like the blowing of a violent wind, other people heard it too. And people started just gathering around because they didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. But they start hearing this noise. 
And then all of a sudden, with the Holy Spirit, the disciples is, is, were able to speak in other tongues. They were speaking multiple languages. Some, they could not do that moments before the Holy Spirit. And then, once they got the Holy Spirit and all the people were gathering around, I think that the, the, the disciples started going to the temple courts. Because that was kind of the only place where they could have all these people coming together in the temple area. So the disciples received the Holy Spirit, and most likely in the upper room, and then they made their way to the temple and begin to preach. Look, look in the book of Acts in chapter 2, 5 to 13, or your storybook in page 390 to 391. It says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together and bewildered them because each one heard their own language being spoken. And then it says, utterly, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, uh, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Cretans, Arabs. And then it says, declaring the wonders of God. So it's like I'm, I start preaching in Spanish and you can start listening in English. In that moment, God is doing something amazing. The translation was in different languages. And then in verse says it says it said in verse 12 it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Do you remember we talked about a little bit ago about Jesus telling the disciples that they were going to receive the Holy Spirit? And they were going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Well, pretty much a lot of people were already there. This event and that day of Pentecost kick-started the process because the people who were present on Pentecost and heard the disciples speaking in their own languages represented all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, all of Samaria, and much of the known world of that time. So by the Spirit, they were able to speak in other languages and prove and validate to what they were saying. And I believe that many people on that day recognized and understood this incident was a sign from God. It cannot be from anything else. And then I believe the question they ask implies that there is a recognition that this that what happened, it was greater than them. It was greater than us. And it, should, it must be from God. Again in verse 12 it says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What the, does this mean? Have you been there? Have you, been, have you asked that question before in your life? And you were amazed and perplexed by what God is doing. And you are driven to ask the question, what does this mean? 
Some of you are here today because you were amazed about something going on in your life. It's because it's coming from God. And you are, you're, you're asking the question, what does this mean? And I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I just see my life growing up in Mexico and then moving to different places and then now end up in Vela Vista and said, God, what does this mean? <laughs> what it means is that God is doing, I'm going to tell you, God is doing something amazing in New Life Christian Church and God is getting ready to do something awesome. We got to be open in our hearts and be ready because, because He's coming. And he wants us to be part of this. And when I heard what was going on in Bella Vista about the church, about new life, I said, God, I want to be a part of that. It's just amazing how God works out things. I know people also who have survived accidents, illnesses. Actually, I have a friend in Mexico that he was um, kidnapped. His name is Abraham. And if you know anything about anything in Mexico going on, hardly anybody that is kidnapped comes back alive. But he, in his life, he had one foot in and one foot out with God. And then he got kidnapped. And when he was being kidnapped, and, and he was there, and people were, were, the kidnappers were talking to him, he was praying, he was singing, he, he likes to play drums and sing, and he was singing and all that, like, they were like scratching their head like, dude, you should be afraid. You're kidnapped. Well, you know what? Uh, you got to do what you got to do. I'm going to praise God. <laughs> so several days went by, and then they asked him, hey, one of them asked him, hey, so if I start going to your church, are you going to recognize me? And he said, man... You go to my church, I'll find another one. <laughs> See, I guarantee you my friend was asking, what does this mean? <laughs> God is doing, was doing amazing things with, in his life. And, and then he asked that question and made him get more committed to God. Because he spared his life. He went back to his family and now he's in ministry and has a family. You know, I stopped, I stopped trying to figure out what God is going to do. <laughs> because I just see my life growing up as a nine-year-old in Mexico with 40 brothers and sisters in an orphanage home. And you heard right, 40. And how God has transformed everything in my life to be here with you today. So I don't ask anymore, like... What's going on, God? I just like ask, now what? <laughs> Maybe God is trying to get your attention today. Perhaps some of you should examine what is going on in your life right now. And acknowledge that God, that it could be from God. And ask the question, what does this mean, God? But also... Going back to our passage, there were some people in the crowd that were trying to make fun of the disciples. And they said, oh, they're drunk. And Peter speaks. And he spoke. Look up there in Acts chapter 2, 14 and 15. It says, then Peter stood up in the, with the eleven 
raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Basically, he's telling them, hold on to your horses. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. I think Peter wants to be funny there. Because, like, who's going to be drinking at 9 in the morning? Maybe there's some people, but I don't know. But anyway... And then continues in Acts chapter 1 and 16 and 21. And, said, and, and, he, and Peter uh, starts start going to, to the Old Testament. And he goes, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit in all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my... Of, on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And here's awesome verse. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone that comes in the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter doesn't mean mess around. He keeps preaching and preaching and going. And this is what happens. He says, he starts saying to them, to the crowd, And you were evil and you crucified Jesus Christ. Forget about political correctness. He just let him have it. If you read the whole sermon of Peter... He blames them for the death of Jesus, but also shares with the, the love, shares the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ being resurrected. And the combination of the disciples speaking in different tongues or languages, and the message uh, that, that Peter was saying hurt them deeply. Look at verse 37, chapter 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They got the point. The sin, their, their sin led Jesus to the cross. And they were feeling guilty of their sin. They, Jesus' blood was in their hands. And it was so heavy, so painful, so burdensome that they talked back to Peter and the other disciples and said, what shall we do? What are we going to do about this? I can't stay this way. I can live this burden. How can we fix our mistake? Have you been there and says, God, what should I do? I've been there. And I promise to God, you know, God, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to change my life. And then all of a sudden, I do it again. But we have an awesome God that forgives us, listens to us, and sends His Son to cleanse our sins. He's the God of do-overs. I read one time of a taxpayer who needed to, to ease his conscience. And he wrote, wrote a letter to the IRS. 
And he said this, I have not been able to sleep well for two years. Here's my check for $1,200 for back taxes. He even signed his name uh, and then added a P.S. If I don't sleep better in a week, I will send you another $1,200. <laughs> you see, this guy had to do something about it because of his guilt. But he didn't want it to do too much. You know, I believe that God deserves our best. And recognition of sin and all of his consequences leads everyone to ask the very same question. What shall we do? And I will go as far to say that recognition of sin that is not followed by the question, what shall I do about it, is not true recognition of sin. But true recognition of sin and its consequences demands the question, what should I do to be asked? Many of you have been there. I've been there. And at some point in our life, I have to recognize the sin in my life. It's causing all kinds of problems. And first of all, it's separation from God. Some of you are there right now. You recognize the sin in your life and you're starting to ask the question, what should I do? And you being here is not an accident. God is about to show you the answers to that question. Because the answer to that question today is the same one that Peter gave on that day of Pentecost. Acts 2.38 is one of the most foundational verses in the entire New Testament. Look what it says. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. What should I do? What should you do? Repent and be baptized. The story continues in chapter 2, verse 40. With many other wonders, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. And the church began. The church started. One day, one ma massive diversity, multicultural crowd of 3,000 believers became the unified community that we call the church. You know, God is finding, God is searching for His lost children and creating a thriving family. Diversity becomes astounding unity by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you continue in the book of Acts, chapter 2, 42 and 47, this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and, everything, and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number every day. Do you notice that in that verse, in those verses, there's no singular pronoun? It's a group of believers, community, together, praising, eating, eating, which is good. You know, so the church was doing all those kinds of things. You see, the church is not a collection of saved individuals. It is a community living in the Spirit of God. The new church met from house to house, eating meals together and using their homes as places of God's love. That sounds like life groups. That sounds like we should be meeting in life groups. <laughs> so if you're not in life group, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> you see, the church spread into Judea and Samaria as Jesus commanded. Saul became a missionary to the nations. And you can read that in Acts chapter 9. And that, my friends, continues to be the charge for us today. Be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and go and make disciples. And you see, the church is part of the story. Part of our story. And we need to make sure that it's part of every person's story Every man, every woman, and every children. Because God is ready to receive everyone with open arms and said, Come here, my son. Come here, my daughter. And so this morning, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what should you do? Repent and be baptized. And you can come up front and talk to me or you can say, Mario, you know what? Uh, I really need to, Jesus in my life. Or maybe uh, you've been coming to New Life for several years and have not placed membership. It's not like a club. Membership me means that you are going to be part of what God is doing in the church, in His church. See, Jesus said, I don't come to be served but to serve. And so Jesus is giving us the example. Yeah, we have busy lives. Yeah, we have all kinds of things to do. But we need to make room to serve each other. Or maybe you uh, walk away from church a long time ago. And you're here today. And you tried it your way. And I guarantee you it didn't work. Now you want to do it God's way. So as I pray and we sing, I'll be here up front. And if you have to make a decision, if you don't want to talk to me, there's some iPads there that you can put what you need. But here's the thing. Today is the day that we start playing around and say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. And I want to serve you. Let's pray.